Welcome to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast and Happy New Year. My name is Kieran Pedley. Now on this week's show we're going to be trialling out something of a new format where I'm joined by Leo Barassi, a regular podcast contributor that you will all know well. And Leo's going to be hopefully something of a more permanent fixture of the podcast in the coming weeks and months. We'll see how he gets on. Um, But on this week's show we're going to be trialling something a bit different where we talk about what's in the news for the first five or ten minutes and then we each pick a polling topic based on data that we found interesting. And this week we've got some particularly interesting data because we've got some exclusive polling from Opinium to reveal to you about Brexit, trust and favourability of different politicians uh, and political parties. So that should be something uh, really interesting to cover. Leo Barassi, welcome to the podcast and Happy New Year. Hello, Kieran. Happy New Year to you too. So I'm not sure how this... um, this what's in the news segment's going to work, and I guess the listeners can can decide whether this is worth pursuing in the future. But I mean, you go for it first. I mean, what have you noticed in the last week that's really caught your eye? Well, look, the obvious thing that's going on lately over the last couple of days has been the reshuffle and um, the kind of fallout from the way that the government handled it. Um, and and really, the obvious sort of headline thing is this sense that. Uh, it's demonstrated that May is unable to get her own way, even with her cabinet colleagues. That um, most eye-catching these, she was obviously wanting to re- reshuffle, probably Jeremy Hunt and Greg Clark to effectively give them a job swap. Uh, it looks like Hunt said no, and so she wasn't able to do it. So, uh, I guess the kind of the obvious thing is that it's kind of reinforced this sense that uh, she's she's too weak to get her own job. Uh, get her own way domestically and that clearly then has implications for uh, what she's trying to do both in the domestic policy agenda but perhaps most relevantly for Brexit. I must say when um, when, when looking at the reshuffle I was caught in two minds. On the one hand it felt like yet another cock-up from Theresa May's government but on the, the other hand I had to sort of remind myself as we all do us political watchers that the public probably don't really notice do they? I mean this isn't likely to to shift the dial very much. I suppose it's only that this reshuffle is only as important insofar as it brings new names to the table that might take a long shot at the leadership next time. That, that's, but who that would be, I've got no idea from, from the well, names well, that came through. I mean, yeah, yes, yes and no. I, I mean, right, in terms of public opinion, sure, it's not going to make any difference. This was far from something that is going to have, have any effect in the polls. But I guess that's that's kind of not the point here. What matters is at least I think you can make a case that this brings slightly closer the moment when the men in grey suits say uh, say to Theresa May that it's time to go. And and that that's a significant thing here. And I guess, you know, with with that in mind, I was sort of uh, looking and trying to trying to try to think, well, I mean, what what happens to the polls if Theresa May goes? Um, and I guess, you know, the obvious instinct is she is such a liability that that's going to be a boost for the Tories. I mean, that that I think is received wisdom. I think it's sort of gen- generally seen that, that she's she's doing so badly. But um, having having had a bit of a look, I'm, I'm not sure that is self-evidently true. Um, I mean, her her ratings in Mori at the moment, it's, it's been a little while since they've done one, but uh, they're actually not really much worse than Cameron's were in early 2011. Um, they're slightly ahead of where Brown's were. Now, obviously, comparing yourself to Brown isn't, isn't exactly... A, it's not a exactly where you want to be, but, is it? Yeah, yeah but <laughs> the point is, she's, she's not in this kind of, in a sort of fabled... Um, record-breaking, awful kind of territory. I mean, she's she's not doing great in the public eye, but 
it's not like she's seen as this this tremendous liability where getting rid of her will suddenly transform the Tory, uh, transform the Tories' fortunes um, unless they can pick someone who uh, can sprinkle gold dust everywhere. Yeah, and it felt like the big story of the general election, or at least one of them, was Jeremy Corbyn being able to create his own electoral coalition. Um, we think of young people most of all when we think of that, but not just young people, and also able to bring Labour voters back into the fold who maybe were flirting with the idea of voting Tory under Theresa May. And I don't know whether they're going to flirt with the idea of the Tories again, having been reminded why they didn't like them during the general election. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to kind of see how the polls shift dramatically, but I suppose the problem for the Tories, it could go either way, couldn't it? They could get a new leader like Boris Johnson, who's really unpopular, um, and we'll come on to some favourability figures later. Um, and, and that could make, be really bad for them. Or they could get a great shining hope, whoever that is, and things things kind of change. It's, it's really hard to know, isn't it? Right, yeah. And you can't you can't just sort of um, know, know which way that's going to go. But, I mean, what kind of what you touched on there is sort of perhaps relates to the other obvious thing that, that has kind of been going on for the last couple of weeks, which is the Toby Young appointment. Um, and I guess the interesting thing about that isn't again, isn't that I think it will make any difference to public opinion. I'm, I'm sure it won't. Uh, I'm sure uh, most most people have very, very little sense of it. But... Very Westminster bubble Twitter story, well, I thought. Well, right. Yeah, yeah, it is a Twitter storm. But I think what the appointment and the retraction of the appointment shows is something very interesting about where the Tories are going. And essentially, um, you know, this, this is sort of a, a, a crude simplification, but... Um, in the last election, they moved from being a party that was quite sort of Cameron-esque, um, able to appeal to uh, uh, socially liberal and economically liberal voters, to one that was uh, beginning to shift towards uh, less socially liberal voters. And that shift was by no means complete. And you touched on Corbyn's coalition, and an important element of that coalition was it was a socially liberal one. Mm-hmm. Um and if the Tories respond to that by saying what we're going to do is lots of kind of Toby Young uh, style signalling where we say actually that our new coalition is going to be heavily socially liberal, um, then that's going to mean a lot of change in terms of Westminster makeup. There's going to be quite a lot of seats that the Tories have been winning that they're going to be giving up on. And there's probably going to be Labour seats that they'll be targeting for the first time. Now, regardless of who the leader is that that would be a big shift and i think the fact that young was appointed and then unappointed uh suggests to me that the tories aren't really yet clear on where they're going with that mm. i guess that will be a key component of the eventual leadership contest that comes um m- my topic this week has to be america because I- I've-, I've been there as people who follow me on twitter know and you'll you'll know well leo obviously married to a, a great new jersey native um we were over there obviously over christmas and I-, I came back and did a piece for political betting on kind of just what i picked up and noticed from being over there but that piece is almost very out of date quite quickly with a, a flurry of activity trump related we saw the the new book from michael wolf um fire and fury or something like that which seems to be very well publicized and very well um uh yeah the pr behind that was very strong uh, i'm sure you were jealous of, of that for your <laughs> for your book <laughs> i didn't get quite the serialization the climate, the climate majority we'll give it the plug there didn't quite get the same uh, serialization but um the, the, some of the stuff in that i thought was um was fascinating but at the same time a lot of it was clearly made up i mean look i think it's not a secret that neither of us are, are fans of donald trump but i do i do sort of shudder a little bit when i see things that in my opinion, play into his hands. 
I know that they were questioning, the book sort of questions his fitness for office and whether he's mentally all there and that sort of thing. But I'm not remotely convinced that's going to persuade anybody new. But I, I could be completely wrong. But the, the biggest the biggest news I thought was um, this week was this sort of speculation about Oprah Winfrey uh, running for president. And you know what? It could just be a, a, we talked about media story, you know, media bubbles earlier. It could very much be Hollywood tripping over itself to fawn over one of their favorite daughters and that sort of thing. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, actually, do you know what? Um, she's got, she ticks a lot of boxes as a potential candidate. And in, in my view, beyond just mere celebrity, I, I've never really taken Dwayne The Rock Johnson or, my, or even Zuckerberg that seriously as a presidential candidate. But when I look at her and her name recognition and the cash she's got behind her, yes, she's a celebrity, but then so is Trump, to use the most obvious argument. And... I'm loath to sort of suggest that sort of black women would vote for her just because she's a black woman, but she does command the respect of a of a pretty important voting block within the Democratic Party. So, I don't know. I, I'm not saying that she's going to be like she's even running or that she'd be the front runner if she did, but if you can imagine, that's going to be quite a crowded field if it does when it when it comes to it in 2020, and there's going to be, I think, quite a fight to be the, for want of a better phrase, female leadership candidate. Uh, in the Democratic Party. There are obvious candidates such as Gillibrand, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris. I'm sure there'll be others too. If Oprah Winfrey's in the race, it kind of changes the dynamics quite a lot. I mean, what do you, did, did you follow much of that American stuff? I mean, what, what struck you? I appreciate I, I, I follow it very closely, so maybe I'm getting too ingrained in the minutiae. Right, yeah. Well, look, I mean, look, there's obviously a lot of different stuff there. And, um, you know, I think first I'll slightly take issue with... Um, your description of the response to the wolf book and um i mean i don't think you you went quite quite this far but i think there's um a kind of reflection of what's going on in the us particularly over here i think um which sort of uh, throws its hands up and says trump is so awful but look look at these republican voters they're they're not changing their minds um he's as popular as any as as he ever was he can't uh, he can't do any wrong in their in their their eyes and i don't think that's quite right i think uh you do have to pay attention to the fact that he is historically unpopular and the number of people who are identifying as republicans in polls is falling um, and all of his views um, and all of his policy ideas are becoming steadily more unpopular among voters. I mean, sort of on, in, on every uh, every measure of public opinion, he is losing. And, oh, yeah, and I think the I midterms mean, look like they're going to be very bad for him as well. Uh, don't get me wrong. But... Right, right, but I don't think... But I don't think that, that the kind of wolf allegations are irrelevant to that. I mean, sure, I get that competence uh, and delivery is the most important thing but i think the sense of chaos that comes from this is relevant and is damaging and i think although um we we understand to be and i think we 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 in uk were burnt or should have been burnt by the way that we characterized george w bush and our misunderstanding of of how that would go down in the us um and I think you know, just characterising Trump as as an imbecile and um, uh, and you know, with with uh, various sort of cognitive decline issues is uh, not not on its own helpful. But I think the sense of incompetence is massively damaging. Um, I mean, on Oprah, um, sure, everything you say makes sense, but. I mean, we have had only one primary and one election where the celebrity factor was the thing that won it. Um, okay, there have been other times where people who've been 
been famous famous before and uh, i guess reagan is the obvious example um have have done well um and, and gone on to win but um you know there, there will be other big name people presumably in the democratic race even assuming that that oprah comes in and you know celebrity is a double-edged sword and look i mean we haven't even started to talk about the mark zuckerberg effect i mean we can mm-hmm. uh, we can name celebrities and, and until we're um until we're, we're blue in the face but you know i mean it's it's very very early to be talking about potential candidates. oh yeah and i think the, fir- the first step in the whole consideration in my opinion is does bernie sanders and does joe biden run because i think everything all of my calculations at least watching that race stem from that i mean i think elizabeth warren would be very very strong if bernie sanders doesn't run as a woman of the progressive wing um if joe biden doesn't run well, there's a whole host of, for want of a better phrase, establishment votes, um, Obama votes. Where do they go? So it's, it's as much about who runs as uh, who doesn't run as who does, I think, when it comes to that race. But one final point before we actually talk about polling. I mean, I think with the Michael Wolff book, I, I take all your points there. I, mean, I just found him slightly irritating, I've got to be honest, when he went on TV and was quite sneering and talking about Trump being a child. I just thought it was like, we, yeah, we kind of know that, we kind of think that, but is this really persuading anyone? I don't know. He, he felt like he'd made up his own mind and writ, written a book that he admitted in his own words weren't, wasn't particularly, uh, well, it may or may not have been factual in parts, but I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens next with Trump. Um, anyway, should we talk about polling? Yeah, let's talk about polling. So we've got some new um, numbers from Opinion as part of the sort of Polling Matters Opinion series. Um, one, of the, one of the sets that we've been tracking over time is favourability of different... Um, I think this is political leaders today, isn't it? But you, you've got some of these numbers to take us through. Yeah, so this is uh, an update on a poll that we did for the first time in July last year, uh, where we asked uh, favourability scores out of 10 for um, a host of frontline UK political figures. Uh, so... It goes from one, uh, sorry, zero labelled extremely unfavourable up to 10 extremely favourable. Um, and when we did it in July, we found that Corbyn was uh, by a fair distance the most popular uh, UK politician or, or perhaps to be precise, the least unpopular. And I say that because what we did, um, as I think is fairly standard when interpreting these, is to... Uh, uh, take take a selection of of the top and call those uh, favorability. Take a selection of the lowest ranked and call them uh, uh, unfavorability. So in this case, we've got eight, nine, and ten, which we're calling favorability, and zero, one, and two, unfavorability, and seeing the gap between them. Um, and um, in July, we had uh, we found that Corbyn was uh, the most popular uh, UK politician, and uh, he was uh, somewhere ahead of May. So we've got new numbers, and this was in the field in mid-December. Uh, so it's a couple of weeks old now, a few weeks old, but um, obviously we've had the Christmas break. So I think it's it's fair to say that they're they're pretty up to date, and we don't wouldn't really expect them to have changed. Um, and what we got was actually relatively little difference from July. So in the seven months or so sorry, five months uh, or so um, since uh, since then, obviously, uh, this is this is all after the election. Um, there hasn't, hasn't been much movement, but actually the movement has been in the same direction in terms of the gap between Corbyn and May. So in July, Corbyn had a favourability score of minus five and May had a favourability score of minus 19. Now, 
Corbyn's favorability score is minus eight and May's is minus 13. So obviously there's lots of different numbers that are being summed up and subtracted from each other and then compared with each other to get to this. So I'll be a bit cautious in interpreting this as quite a large swing because the, the numbers I'm about to say make it sound a bigger swing than, than perhaps it really is. But essentially Corbyn's uh, net favourability lead has over May has gone from 14 points in July to five points now. So now actually there's much less gap between them. And um, what that what makes that up is that 26% give Corbyn a favourable score and 20 give May a favourable score um, and uh, 34 uh, give him unfavourable and 33 give him uh, give her unfavorable so there's now they've now got pretty much the same uh, proportion who are unfavorable to them about a third and corbyn has 26 percent who are who are favorable com uh, compared with may having 20 so uh gaps relatively small and neither of them are particularly loved now corbyn is still the most popular politician on this measure um interestingly the next most and the only other one who has a favorability score better than minus 10 is Sadiq Khan, who has has one of minus nine, um, although he actually has a lot more people in the middle um, who don't feel so strongly uh, about him than um, uh, uh, than others do. So um, his score of minus minus nine is sort of composed a bit differently, and he doesn't have so many enthusiastic fans as Corbyn does. It's almost we almost forgot about Sadiq Khan, didn't we? Because I think when Jeremy Corbyn looked um, weak and vulnerable, there was a lot of speculation as who might be a future Labour leader. Now we all know Sadiq Khan was never really in the box seat for that anyway, because he wasn't in Parliament. But he, even so, his name kept getting brought up a lot, in, in, you know, with the idea of him being a, a Labour leader of the future. Um, much less, much less now, really, doesn't it? Uh, isn't it? But it does remind well, those numbers yeah, do remind that's, us because that's there isn't a conversation at the moment about the next Labour leader so much. Sure, right? but those numbers you, you mentioned there do do remind us that I mean, Jeremy Corbyn had a fantastic 2017 um, in terms of turning his reputation around, but it turned it around from a terrible reputation to an okay reputation rather than to a very good one. And I suppose that doesn't necessarily matter if there was a general election tomorrow, because if there was one tomorrow, it would be him versus Theresa May or, well, Labour versus the Conservatives. But those would be the two leaders. And it's clear that any personal advantage he had over him is now gone, essentially. So, um, But it's just worth mentioning that he isn't necessarily very, very popular. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know what, what else you were noticing. I, I thought it was quite interesting looking at the Conservative uh, numbers among Conservative voters. Um Theresa May was the most popular. Um, the Tories were most favourable to Theresa May, 51%, rather than a whole host of other um, Tories we tested, with Boris Johnson on 36% favourable, Ruth Davidson 27 Jacob Rees-Mogg 28%. What do we make of Jacob Rees-Mogg? I mean, his favourability numbers aren't great here, but I, I was surprised that they were as high as they were, actually. I, I, I would have thought most people just wouldn't know who he was. Yeah, that was exactly my reaction as well. That um, you know he doesn't he doesn't do badly. He has uh, fourteen percent favorable, twenty eight percent unfavorable, which you know again again isn't great. But it make it gives him um, well among the Tories he is the third highest in terms of favorability. So only 
Johnson and Theresa May have more people who give him a favourability score. Uh, and he's perhaps slightly less polarising than um, I might have expected. Um, that uh, There aren't a huge proportion of people who are especially unfavourable to him. I think it's, it's perhaps a bit like, I mean, I, I sort of, uh, I think this is too strong a comparison, but it's not totally different from where Boris Johnson was a few years ago, where uh, he has he does reasonably well in terms of favourability and actually not that badly in terms of unfavourability. But he certainly, I mean, this is certainly uh, Mog mania is certainly nothing like uh, Johnson mania was a few years ago. So it's, know, it's interesting you, you, you mentioned that. the culture war aspect uh, earlier, I think, and, you know, I wonder whether Jacob Rees-Mogg could be a beneficiary of that. I mean, he was quite outspoken on, um, well, outspoken to a point on abortion, although he did mention, I think it was on Good Morning, was it Good Morning Britain? I think Philip Schofield, whatever he does, I think that was the chat, the show he was on. And he was talking about his views as on being anti-abortion, even in the case of rape and things like that. And I think the line he gave was that he wouldn't legislate for that. But the fact that I, I wonder whether he's someone that could benefit from this, this culture war we're talking about, whether abortion is the right yeah, thing to yeah. focus on, I don't know. So I think your question, you know, that point at the end, I think is exactly where I'll be a bit cautious that what you what you're thinking about there is obviously the, the central touchstone of the US culture war. And I, I just don't think that the UK culture war is picking up on that remotely to the same extent. I think here it's much more questions about uh, immigration and what's what's termed political correctness and um, about about uh, safe spaces and stuff like that. And I think. Uh, you know, and just a sort of general sense of intellectualism. I'm not convinced that he is someone who could really uh, jump on that. Um, I think you, I'm not. I'm not sure he's he's sort of pugilistic and rabble rousing enough to be someone who, in a Farage kind of way, can uh, can take advantage of that. Uh, it was interesting, actually, the demos. Uh, uh, Demos, the think tank, published a, a set of focus groups of, uh, I think there were over 50s um, um, uh, Leave voters. Uh, and I mean, they were, I certainly suggest people have, have a read through them. They certainly, I found them very eye opening um, and lo- lots of lots of different uh, things to, to, to look at there. But a thing that struck me was uh, people's view of Rhys Mogg was not I suspect what us politics watchers would think it was. I think their their sense of him was as a sort of thoughtful, intelligent man, uh, not not as a sort of uh, culture warrior. I think um, it's sort of, he's not being fitted into that role in the way that we might expect. So, so this was groups with who leavers? Uh, yeah, I think um, uh, off the top of my head, I think they were older leave voters, um, and there's there's lots of very interesting stuff uh, in them and. Uh, I mean, you know, lots of attitudes, a sort of cultural disconnection, and really, what's what comes through constantly is a feeling of communities not being what's they, uh, what what they once were. Uh, I mean, I've got to say that there's elements of it that I found very uncomfortable in terms of attitudes to uh, to immigrants, um, and there's there are parts that, frankly, I, I did find racist, um, even though um, the write-up said that said that it wasn't. Um, but but there was also an awful lot of uh, quite uh, striking and important things that I think people really need to get a grip of to understand uh, how, how uh, leave voters can be uh, 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 can be sort of brought back into um, the kind of engagement with uh, uh, with well with politics at all I guess 
You um, you made the mistake of bringing up Brexit, although that does uh, give us a seamless segue into our uh, sort of final topic of this week's podcast, which is um, some polling questions that we asked about um, about Brexit and, and trust. Um, two questions, quite simple in their administration. Do you find the following people trustworthy or untrustworthy when it comes to Brexit? And we had Theresa May, Jeremy Corbyn, Nick Clegg, Tony Blair, David Davis, Boris Johnson, Andrew Adonis, Mark uh, Carney, and Nigel Farage. Now, we had a five-point scale, um, ranging from very trustworthy to very untrustworthy. I don't know option was given in addition. I'm just going to read out some of the net trustworthy figures. So this is subtracting the, those that did not trust from those that did trust to give you a percentage. So, for example, Theresa May's number was minus six. So that means that um, 33% trusted her on Brexit, 39% did not. So if you've got that in your head, listeners, um, Jeremy Corbyn was also minus six. And I, I suppose you might, you won't be surprised to learn that there are strong party divides and leave-remain divides on, on where those numbers come from. But some of the other numbers really stood out. One in particular, Tony Blair. Um, I think this, if, if we'd been doing this podcast this time last week, we might have brought him up as someone that was in the news his trust figures on, on Brexit, minus 42. Um, the nearest the, uh, the nearest worst score to him, Nick Clegg, minus 24. Um, and just to whistle through the other ones, David Davis, minus 12. Boris Johnson, minus 20. Andrew Adonis, minus 9. 46% don't know there, I should say, with Andrew Adonis. Mark Carney, plus 10, the only one that's uh, in, in the positives. And Nigel Farage, minus 19. And I just want to... I, I dwell on that Tony Blair. There is another polling question I'll bring up at the end, but I kind of want to dwell on that Tony Blair number a bit. I mean, we've talked about Tony Blair a bit on this podcast, haven't we, Leo, and some of his his poll numbers before. But yet again, when you look into the numbers, I haven't got the Labour figure in front of me, but I think his his trust was something like minus 20 or something like that um, among Labour voters. So, I mean, you know, he, he, he intervenes in these things as, I suppose, it's fair enough that he does. It was minus 23. I've just seen it among Labour voters. Um, he intervenes, as is his right as a former prime minister. I do believe that. Whatever type of prime minister you are, Major, Cameron, Blair, you, know, you, you have a right to have a, a say in what's going on. But he's really, really unpopular. And it did stand out for me that the two biggest um, advocates in that list for reversing Brexit, uh, full stop, Nick Clegg and Tony Blair are the, are the least trusted on the issue. Now, I don't know if that's related to Brexit. I suspect it's a bit related to their legacy in politics as well. But, I mean, that, that, they're, they're really bad numbers for Tony Blair, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And I think they're in keeping with what we've seen uh, in other polls of attitudes um, to, uh, to him and to others. I mean, you'll remember we did a while back a poll on views of past prime ministers and what we saw is that past Labour prime ministers are now seen as failures uh, widely in the way that past Tory prime ministers aren't and what we saw driving that was um, Tory voters thought about ex-Labour ex prime ministers just in the same way that Labour voters think about ex-Tory ex prime ministers so current vote, uh, voters of a party don't like the prime minister of the other party but labor voters don't like former labor prime ministers and that happened then and it's happened again here i mean um you you commented on the labor numbers for for blair and i think what's what's striking is that tories uh, tory voters dislike blair about as much as labor voters dislike theresa may or or distrust in the context of this poll but you don't have 
this sense of voters looking back on their prime minister for their party and saying that that they did well and they trust them. Um, and you know, it's it's obviously clearly in the context of Brexit where you have um, two of the most prominent spokespeople are people who are white are are widely distrusted. That's yeah. obviously a massive problem for for the Remain case, but it's also a fundamental strategic problem for Labour trying to make the case for being a party of government again when it's unable to bring itself to points to any of its former prime ministers and say that they did well and that they uh, are someone who we should look up to and try and emulate. And, and, uh, I, and I, I think just to clearly a case study of that. Just to, just to add to that briefly, I mean, I think. One of the things you often hear people say when you talk about Labour voters' opinion of Tony Blair or even Gordon Brown is that, well, of course, Labour voters are a different animal now than what they were. And yeah, OK, that might be true to some extent. It's a different group of people. But I, I just think there's no hiding place from that minus 42% among all. Whichever way you slice and dice it, that really stood out. And of that list, so May, Corbyn, Clegg, Blair, Davis, Johnson, Adonis, Carney, Farage, to remind people, I mean, not even Farage gets down to those numbers. Um I guess he has a he he has a constituency in the fight still, but I mean there's just there's just no hiding place from those numbers being really really dreadful. Fifteen percent trusted uh, Blair, fifty seven percent didn't. Um, right. Okay. And you know that. So if you're if you're Tony Blair and his people, and uh, perhaps most pertinently if you're um, one of the organisations trying to advocate for uh, finding a way to keep Britain either in the EU or in something relatively close to it, and um, you want to have the opportunities to do that, then fine. So you look at that and say, OK, let's keep Blair off, off the TV. But who else have you got? I mean, this is this is the Remain side's problem, that mm. um, there is almost nobody who is making that case in a competent, articulate way that can substitute for him. Uh, and given that he's so distrusted, it sort of feels that that's a problem that's going to carry on. Yeah, I mean, based on the numbers you've said today, I think the only person you can imagine is Sadiq Khan. But I mean, whether you want to do that from the pulpit of being mayor of London, I suppose there's no ne- there's no necessary backlash politically there to do that. Um, I don't know, though. It, it, it's interesting. Um, just to move on to the final question, which is related to what we've been talking about. We also asked which of the following groups of people do you trust to tell the truth when it comes to Brexit? So... Um, what we were trying to do here was was just get beyond individual people and try and look at organisations. And we had a list, the Bank of England, the BBC, this is in descending order actually. So 20% trusted the Bank of England, 19% the BBC, 13% the Labour Party, 11% the EU, 9% the Tory party, Conservative government I mean, uh, 9% the CBI, 8% the TUC, 7% broadsheet papers, 7% civil service, 3% tabloids, and then half, none of these. And what was striking for me was among Remainers, the Bank of England, um, the BBC, Labour Party and the EU, more than the government, uh, were were trusted. But among Leave voters, 61% didn't trust anybody. So I guess it goes to the heart of what we know about Leave voters, doesn't it? Which is that, you know, um, a real real sort of um, animosity might not be the right word, but a a real sort of uh, distrust of authority figures or experts. I mean, that's fascinating, isn't it? That uh, only only 39% of Leave voters trusted anyone in this list to tell the truth about Brexit. And I I thought about this when I I did. So so interesting that, I mean, it just sort of says everything and the stuff in the the Demos focus groups, I think, uh, coming to this point that, you know, it's just sort of, this is, uh, I mean, uh, calling them a group of people isn't fair when it's 52% of the population, but essentially uh, 
they're looking around and, and not believing anyone on this topic. And I, I was thinking about this when I wrote, because often when you write these sorts of questions and any question you do in, in our line of work, you, you do wonder afterwards, did I, did I miss someone out there? Did I miss something out really big? I mean, this, this question is explicitly trying to look at organisations rather than individual people. I haven't looked at the um, popularity of the trust of Nigel Farage among Leave voters, for example, um, or, or Theresa May specifically, but I'm sure as individuals they are... They have better numbers than some of these, but it just it's interesting that there isn't an institution that the uh, Leave sides tend to uh, sort of look to for information. Perhaps we, if we'd put the Daily Mail or if we'd put Leave.eu, you know, we might have got some um, some purchase there. But yeah, it did seem like don't trust anybody was the mantra of, of Leave voters on this yeah, list. Sure. I should just, stress it's just, this list. Just on those numbers, so uh, Leave voters are 44% trusting uh, Farage, 24% distrusting him. So, so there you go. It's, yeah. it's a net positive, but you know, it's still it's still less than half. So I, I guess what we learn from this data, and it's, it's it's one data point, there are several of us out there, is that really with Leave voters, it, it seems to be the people that led the fight rather than institutions that get their trust on the issue. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that's the point, right? That institutions are kind of seen as part of the problem that institutions have let us down. Uh, I, I suppose is sort of where where this is coming from. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I guess it's the sort of the BBC as, as seen as a bas- as bastion of liberalism. Um, you know, even even the Tory government seen as uh, sort of barely any more trustworthy than the BBC. Um, I mean, I think the fact that. Uh, the European Union is seen as the the group that uh, is trusted to tell the truth by so many people is in itself fascinating and uh, it's 19% among Remain voters and I particularly liked that 33% of Lib Dems um, which is admittedly not a very large base size these days but um, <laughs> uh, gave get, said that they trusted the um, the EU to tell the truth on, on Brexit which is more than trust the civil service by uh, quite some distance which I think is uh, very telling about the times we're in yeah i think just just to finish off really i think it does it does seem like i mean who do you trust it is very much uh we've maybe always known this but it's it's seen through your prism uh, of, of how you view the world either politically or socially or otherwise so um yeah lot, lots of interesting stuff there um that's all we've got time for leo uh, thanks for your time on this week's podcast um listeners i do hope you enjoyed the new format where we talked about the news a bit and then got into some uh, specific polling data we hope to be sort of uh, pursuing this um new format in, in future weeks do uh, give us a shout if you have any topics that you'd like us to discuss or questions you'd like us to answer or even suggestions for guests that you think might be uh, good for the show in future um, episodes um, but for now if you could help us out by sharing the uh, spreading the word share us on social media give us a like or a positive rating on itunes and all the podcast apps that will really help get our name out there too but for now have a great week and thanks for listening <laughs>